The second reading comes from the prophet Ezekiel, the 17th chapter, beginning with the 22nd verse. Let us continue listening now for the word from God. Ezekiel speaks, saying, This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel, I will plant it. It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and I make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. Friends, this too is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Our sermon today is titled, Hope in High Places. Let us pray. Good and gracious God, for those who gather here with their heads in the clouds, we pray that you might make us low. God, we pray that we might notice where it is we are planted this day, that we might look up and notice the height and the breadth and the depth of your love. God, we pray that your spirit might move in this time now, that it might alight upon all of our hearts, that we might hear a fresh word for the living of these days from an old, old story. Indeed, God, we pray that through your spirit, the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts gathered here together in your sight might be pleasing, for you and you alone are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you couldn't tell, it's been a good week of vacation Bible school around St. Simon's Presbyterian. Lots of kids, lots of volunteers, lots of activity. As Frida mentioned, they studied this past Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, the book of Daniel, which if you don't know it already, is a book that was almost made for vacation Bible school, it seems. They're just these incredible stories in it. These stories of fiery furnaces and lion's dens. These stories of interpreting dreams. These are the kinds of stories that stir a child's imagination. The kinds of stories that can teach and deepen faith. The overall theme for this particular vacation Bible school looking at the book of Daniel was... The title, Courage in Captivity. Now, the Bible scholars in our midst might recognize right away what that captivity is referring to. The captivity in the book of Daniel is referring to a very specific historical period. 
when the mighty Babylonian Empire swooped in and sacked Jerusalem. I think we sometimes forget when we read scripture and we read about Israel and Judah, we imagine them being these sort of superpowers of their day. After all, they are God's chosen people, right? In fact, historically speaking, Israel was little more than a tiny backwater nation, both geographically and politically speaking. Other than a few meager alliances and sheer faith, it was a nation that was largely defenseless against the superpowers of their day. These mighty empires like the Babylonians that sort of lurked at their borders. And sure enough, in the 6th century BCE, Babylon comes in and conquers Jerusalem. Suddenly, God's chosen people lose everything. They lose their land. They lose their families. Worst of all, maybe they lose their temple. The temple was this looming presence, both spiritually and physically, the structure itself in the life of the Jewish people. And the Babylonians reduce it to rubble. Suddenly, people in Jerusalem, these Israelite people with names like Daniel, and his friends, these civic and religious authorities of their time, and this prophet, this man named Ezekiel, they're all rounded up and led into exile. They're hauled away into decades of captivity. I didn't plan it this way, but the lectionary just does it sometimes. It gives you these stories that just kind of match up with what's going on in the life of your church. So it's interesting to me that our scripture from Ezekiel is basically little more than a different perspective on the same historical event that the book of Daniel, that our children have been learning about in vacation Bible school. But there is this critical difference. Where Daniel is wonderful fodder for vacation Bible schools, Ezekiel is the complete opposite. If you read the 16 chapters before our verses today, if you just read the first 21 verses before our verses today, you will read a prophet who is raking his own people over the coals. He is calling them out. He is judging them in God's name. He is drawing direct correlation to their present circumstances in exile with their actions before. He excoriates the Israelite people. I'm not quite sure what the section headers are in the Pew Bible. In my study Bible this week, I flipped back just to get an idea of what some of the words were about leading up to this passage today, and I came across section titles in the Bible with Words like useless vine, faithless bride, abominations in the temple. Ezekiel is not kind to his people. He speaks hard words of judgment against them. 
then we get to this passage today. And it's almost as if Ezekiel looks out on his audience and he sees their faces. And he sees in their faces a people who are captive. People who are captive to their fear. People who are captive to this sense of guilt. People who are captive to this sense of abandonment. If you go back and you read some of the historical accounts of Babylon's conquering of Judah, you will recognize that it was not the kind of conquering where the Babylonians came in and kindly asked Daniel and Ezekiel and the others to form a line and follow them out of the city. Babylon laid utter ruin to these people. Their homes, their lives lay in rubble. How could they feel anything but abandoned by the world and by their God? I think Ezekiel looks out and he sees faces that are tired. And for a brief moment, his blood pressure lowers and he takes a deep breath and he offers to his people in these verses a gift. He offers them a gift in the form of this image, this image of restoration and of hope, this image that is meant to give them courage in their captivity. Listen again to some of the words he speaks to them. This is what the Sovereign Lord says, he begins. I myself will take a shoot from the top of a cedar and I will plant it. And I will plant it on a high and lofty mountain. And this shoot will produce branches and it will bear fruit. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. All the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall tree and I make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and I make the dry tree flourish. I, the Lord, have spoken and I will do it. What that, must that have been like for those Israelite people to hear these words? Words of shelter. Words of new life growing up despite the lifeless situation they are existing in. What must it have been like? You know, Scripture sometimes gives us these details and stories that are sort of just sprinkled in there, and you wonder why. The story would really be the same without that particular detail. And in this story, there's this one particular detail that I ask myself, why is that even here? The place that this sprig is planted stood out to me. Ezekiel drops in this little detail that not only will he plant a sprig, but he will plant it high up on a mountain. I still remember my first visit to Colorado in the summertime. It wasn't long ago in 2014. I'd been there once or twice as a kid, but always in the winter. And when you go up into the mountains of Colorado in the wintertime, the world is one color. Do you know what color it is? It's white. Just snow everywhere. Everywhere you look, there's snow. 
I went for the first time for a wedding with Aaron back in 2014, and I remember the first night we were there, we were in this beautiful home up above Breckenridge uh, for this wedding, and we sat out on the patio near sunset, and I looked out across the valley to the mountain range on the other side, and something stood out to me. Not only that there were all these colors in Colorado that you do not see in the wintertime, but I noticed how your eye follows the mountain up and there's this lush green, these pine forests that just cover the side of the Rockies. And you start to keep going up and up and around 9,000 or 10,000 feet, the vegetation gets a little bit more sparse until eventually there's nothing but rock. This is another one of those things that shouldn't be sort of a revelation for me, but I grew up in Ohio and I'm not used to scenes like this. And I remember being struck by the fact that there is this line, this demarcation point above which seemingly no life can grow. I learned later it's called a tree line. Again, revelation to me, maybe not to you. It's this imaginary line that forms based on altitude and temperature and the nutrients and the soil. But there's this point above which life really can't exist. But at the same time, I learned about this one particular tree. It's called the bristlecone pine. This tree not only lives at high altitude, it thrives at high altitude. We're talking about 10, 11,000 feet up you will find these bristlecone pines. Scientists have gone to some of the groves that are protected and they have carefully bored holes into them to study the growth rings. I pity the person whose job it was to study the growth rings on these trees because they have found bristlecone pines that are 3,000, 4,000, some that are almost 5,000 years old. And scientists actually think that these trees grow so slow at altitude that they don't even form a growth ring every year. So it's entirely possible that some of these trees are in excess of 5,000 years old. It blows my mind. If some of you out here haven't got Father's Day gifts yet, maybe you'll consider buying an airplane ticket after this service. And sending your loved one to Colorado or Utah or California because it is just mind-blowing to me that we can go today if we choose and stand a few feet from one of these trees and be looking at an organism that was planted in that very spot 2,000 years before the prophet Ezekiel stood up and preached about a sprig being planted high up on a mountain. Now Ezekiel, of course, uses the image of a cedar, which makes sense. Cedars are trees that he would have been familiar with. They're common to Lebanon and Israel and Syria and places in that area. But I think he's making the same point with the cedar, because cedars, too, can grow to be old, a thousand plus years old, and they too can grow high up on mountains and hillsides where other vegetation struggles to exist. 
And so I think Ezekiel is making the same point that just like an old cedar or a bristlecone pine, what makes that tiny sprig special, what helps it to reach old age, is the very place where it is planted. Because high up on a mountainside, at altitude, these trees are above the fire line. There's not much that can burn them up there. And they grow slowly because there's not much oxygen up there. And because they grow slowly, they have this dense wood that can resist insects and disease and fungi. Now, because they grow up that high and are exposed to the elements, they're not exactly the most attractive trees in the world, a point which is illustrated on the cover of our bulletin today. They're twisted and they're gnarled. But because of all these things, they are strong, and they endure. There's this incredible tree. Some of you all might know which one I'm talking about. It's over at Epworth Retreat Center. There's that beautiful grass area right along the river, and there's this huge magnolia tree. You all know which one I'm talking about? I have pictures of Sam playing under this tree, and I've always sort of thought of that tree or a tree like that when I read scripture that talks about the tree of life. I imagine a tree like that one with all these branches and these big, lush leaves, a tree that casts shade under it, that almost beckons children like Sam to come and play in its shadow. But I wonder now if maybe the better image for the tree of life is an old cedar or a bristlecone pine. Maybe when we hear Ezekiel speak of a sprig and a mountain, what he's trying to teach us is that though God's hope does not always look like we expect or grow where we expect to find it, God's hope is strong. And because it is strong, it endures both time and space. Maybe when we feel captive to whatever fears, whatever anxieties, whatever fatigue that we carry with us into this space today, maybe when we open the papers or turn on the television and read these headlines that literally take our breath away, that leave us feeling like we have been dropped on the top of a mountain where there is hardly any oxygen for us to breathe, headlines that speak of people in our times that are living in exile from places like Syria, People who have to leave their homes because there is no water, there is no food. When we open the paper and read headlines about children in our own country being torn away from their parents, and it takes our breath away. Maybe when we say things like, Lord, I can't take it if one more thing happens, and then the one more thing happens. Maybe when we feel like we are existing on the edge of where life itself is possible. Maybe we should think of that old cedar or that ancient (coughs) crystal cone. 
Maybe in that image we can be bolstered in our courage to not just keep on living, but to listen, to see, to speak. Maybe we will be bolstered in our courage because we know that somewhere the rings on the tree of that sprig that God planted all those years ago are still growing. I'm mindful that today is a significant day in the life of our church. In just a few minutes, you all are going to be introduced to and then asked to vote on someone you have never met to come and be your next associate pastor. And then next Sunday, you're going to be invited to come back into this place and to say goodbye, not to the person or to the friend, but to the pastor that has pastored to us all for the past 20 years. If you're like me, you might feel in days like these like you are living on a whipsaw. A whipsaw between excitement on the one hand for what is yet to be, what is still to come, and grief. That's the word that churches should be using when they talk about saying goodbye to a pastor they love. It's grief. Maybe Ezekiel today is preaching to us then the same message that Daniel preached to our children this past week. Have courage. Have courage. I heard a sermon not too long ago that had one of the best sermon titles I've ever heard. Way better than mine. The sermon was titled, A Sermon on Why Hope and Vapid Optimism Are Not the Same Thing. There was this line in this sermon where the preacher said, Christianity is not a faith that produces optimism. It is not a faith that produces optimism. Christianity is a faith that produces a defiant hope that in the midst of captivity, in the midst of our darkness, that God is still writing the story. Friends, God is still writing your story. God is still writing our story. Like the rings on a mighty cedar or an ancient bristle cone. The rings of God's love, a love that is capable of delivering an exile of people back home. Ezekiel doesn't end here. The story doesn't finish here. Those Israelite people return home eventually. A love that is capable also of delivering a dead Jesus out of the tomb. A love that is capable of bringing back to life for us those dead things. Those hopes, those dreams, those relationships that we were sure were done, and yet we find they still have life in them. 
love that is capable of sustaining a single day of life, much less 40 years of faithful and loving ministry, both to this place and to countless people beyond these walls. Maybe when we think of the tree of life as being like a bristlecone pine, we too can have courage because we know that the rings of God's love are still growing today. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.